We record on Turrbal and Yagara country in Mianjin, Brisbane. The Committee for Brisbane acknowledges the First Nations people of the region and their continuing connection to and care of the land, waters and community of that region. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Welcome to Dream Boldly, the podcast that brings together the best and brightest minds from Brisbane, Australia, proud host city of the 2032 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Our guests will be experienced and well-known Brisbane leaders sharing big ideas to help shape a better city and region. Prominent Queensland businessman Steve Wilson is one of Brisbane's biggest advocates. The founding chair of the Committee for Brisbane Advisory Council and former Southbank Corporation chair of 16 years, Steve has lived and worked in many of the world's great global cities and chooses to call Brisbane home. Amongst his many career highlights includes the reinvigoration of Southbank and most recently the restoration of the iconic Princess Theatre. In Steve's words, it's Brisbane's time. To share more about his personal love affair with the River City, welcome Steve. Hi Adam, <laughs> lovely to be with you. Steve, you have travelled extensively as a businessman and as a tourist and seen many cities and countries around the world. What are the attributes of great cities that resonate most with you and how does Brisbane fare? Well, look, I think probably the most important thing is the authenticity of the people. So if you go to a place that feels artificial, and generally cities aren't that, their truth is there, but cities that aren't trying to be something that they're not. And so... It's the distinctive points of each city that's so special. And in that context, I think the casual, relaxed nature of Brisbane, and yet it's such a place that's growing so rapidly and there's a real sense of excitement about it. So you get that nice balance. Mm. And your career has taken you right around the world, including some long stints in London and in Sydney. What was it that brought you back to Brisbane and when? Look, I'd have to be honest and say that when I was working and living in London and sort of adoring all that that very big city has to offer, including being a gateway to Europe and indeed America, I probably wouldn't have initially thought I'd end up back in Brisbane. But I went through a process of deciding where I wanted to live long term, where I wanted to put my roots down, if you like, and I suppose where I wanted to put my energy. And I decided, look, I want to be part of a community. And that led me to say I want to be an Australian which I was, but wanted to come back and live in Australia in, so, in spite of all those excitements that I described to you about London. And then it was a process of elimination to say, well, where do I really want to live? Back then, it was a big shock for someone like me to come to Brisbane because that was 40 odd years ago. And Brisbane then wasn't what Brisbane is today. But I could see that things were starting to change. We'd had the Commonwealth Games, which I wasn't living in Brisbane at the time. Expo happened, though, soon after I arrived. And you could just sense back then that things were going to change. So that process of elimination, and frankly, I think uh, I'm very pleased I made that decision. I remember when we last spoke, Steve, which was probably about two years ago now, and you mentioned that Brisbane to you is like LA was 40 years ago. What do you mean by that? Well, it's funny, that comment actually came to me from Californian. They made that comment and I've sort of picked up on it because there was a long time ago, LA was still seen very much as a sort of poor cousin 
to the big smoke of either New York or Chicago and there are all those classic jokes about the Californians and how many Californians does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer was, you know, lots and lots because, you know, one to do it and 12 to share the experience. I'm not necessarily saying we were that kind of hip laid back place. There was this thing that we're a place that's just starting to emerge. But the other thing about California and and Los Angeles within California is that it's very much about lifestyle and about the climate, about the outdoors, about the ease of movement and about the absence of stuffiness. And I think those are all essential elements that Brisbane, particularly greater Brisbane, if you throw in the broader sense of Brisbane, Mm -hmm. which includes in my mind or indeed in the Committee for Brisbane's mind, from coast to coast and from Byron to Noosa and from mountain to island, so from Woomba out to uh, Tangaluma. Within that broader area, you've kind of got a California comparison. Mm. You mentioned that the Brisbane that you returned to or arrived in 40 years ago is very different to the Brisbane today. And throughout your career, and in particular your time as Southbank, Corporations chair for 16 years, you've spearheaded and and been involved with many of the city's big urban renewal and city shaping infrastructure projects. What have you observed about Brisbane's maturation over that time? Well, I think it's gone from something that was a twinkle in the eye of a few of us like me, and by no means am I that only person who had to agree live in the future in your own mind about what it could be, to now being here. And it's almost one of those things where you scratch yourself and you you look around and you see the range of activities that exist that back then were quite embryonic. So let's for a moment talk about food. I'm a great foodie. I love my wine as well. I now have a restaurant, I have a a wine business also. So I only mention that in the context that, you know, I've acted in this area, but that's because I like it. But it used to be that really there weren't that many decent restaurants in Brisbane. Yeah, there were some good ones, some, some excellent ones, but there weren't many and there were no clusters. Now the Brisbane food scene is just erupting and many people want to come here because of our food. And What's really good is that it's focusing on local produce and, of course, that's so good because we've got the best seafood in the world, we've got the best tropical fruits, we've got the best beef, the best lamb, we've got marvellous vegetables from the Lockyer Valley and on and on the list goes. So there's that's food, the wine I mentioned, the music scene. You mentioned at the beginning that I've been involved in the restoration of the Princess Theatre. That's now primarily used for music events and that's something that I've learnt more and more about and the music scene in Brisbane is just really happening. You've got the Fortitude Valley more generally, you've got the Fortitude Valley Music Centre and of course we've got traditional performing arts complex which is expanding at the moment. So there's just so many areas that were ideas a long time ago but now are real and yet they're getting better and stronger. One of the city's great gathering places is, of course, South Bank, and you were very close to the development of that site. I remember when we discussed previously, you mentioned that one of the perhaps more controversial decisions at the time was kicking the buses out of South Bank. Take us back to that time and your reasoning and rationale behind that decision and what it's meant for that part of Brisbane today. Well, it's quite funny, really, because... I was invited by the then Premier to chair the board and what he said was, is that I want you to fly with the Eagles. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, just be imaginative. We want this place to be 
the best expo site in the world and a great precinct and we want you to really be innovative. And so we pulled in a bunch of good designers and planners and thought, well, how can we make this precinct into something very special? And we looked at it and there was this 16-hectare area right on the river looking straight across to what then was the CBD and the CB now has expanded more broadly, but it was looking across the river. So it was the best parcel of of land. It had lovely trees and things. It had some things that weren't so lovely. It was adjacent to the performing arts complex, but it had a major problem, and that was that Gray Street was earmarked by the traffic engineers to be the freeway for buses. And I remember I went down and wandered down there with my family, and back then my children were young, and I took my four daughters down there, and they all had their little hats on, and a bus roared past at 100 kilometres per hour, which was the required speed limit, the minimum speed limit to meet the timetable. All their little hats blew off Mm. as symbolic of just how bad it is to have a freeway right through the centre of something that's supposed to be very special. So I came back to something incredibly basic and I I addressed the cabinet and I was told by the various people uh, who were telling us the way the government thought that your ideas are all very well, but what you're talking about is overriding the decisions of the Department of Transport and Main Roads and that at the end of the day, they always win and that you and your arguments are seen as being frivolous and not grounded in financial reality, which amused me because I pride myself on being a financial person, but my job was to come up with something that was to fly with the eagles and to come up with something that was great. And I just put the proposition to these people that you can't have it both ways. You can't have a great inner in a city precinct, and we can have that but we can't also have a bus freeway through the middle of it. And so after much consternation, uh, we won the (laughs) argument and uh, the buses were moved and buried. They work still. They're in the precinct. It's important to have public transport, but we don't dissect the area with a bus freeway. And you just can't fathom that now. For those that know and love the South Bank that we know today, you just cannot imagine it with buses tearing through. No, you can't. And that taught me many things. And But one of them was that there are certain basic infrastructure needs that one needs. And look, we all want parks and we all want music centres and we want places that people can move about quietly. And that's very important. But we also have to work out how to get transport sorted. And so it was about getting right the infrastructure before we went ahead and then made it into a great people place. But we couldn't just deny transport because we need transport. So it was a case of not alone saying we've got to move the buses, but then saying here's where they can go. Mm. So get the infrastructure right, and that's so important with the Olympics coming up now. We've got to get the infrastructure right, and that's not only transport, but transport's a big piece of it because currently we've got 3.8 million people in Greater Brisbane. Soon after the Olympics, depending on which forecast you use, we're going to have over 5 million people. That's an extraordinary growth. But if we don't work out the transport, including pedestrians and cycles, but clearly other than foot and cycle, then we'll clog up and we won't be this great city. Mm. And it's only been very recently that the plans for the next iteration of South Bank's redevelopment rather have been released. Being so close to the last major renewal of that site, what are your thoughts on what's planned there? Look, I think what the new board and the new corporation have come up with is fabulous. In essence, it's an extension 
and a broadening of the base. And there are some pretty big and exciting ideas there. The one that's really captured a lot of imagination is the idea of extending the arbour, that beautiful tendrils of steel surrounded upon which Bougainvillea has grown, to become a signature of Brisbane. It is now, but the notion of joining the many great features that are in the inner city Brisbane through that as a symbol of our subtropical environment is very exciting. And one of the things that we used to talk about when we talked about South Bank was the string of pearls. By that I mean there are many wonderful things in the inner Brisbane, inner area of Brisbane. I mentioned a couple, the Performing Arts Complex. We can add in the what I call the two cathedrals of Brisbane because to many people sport is the Australian religion. So you've got the Gabba, which is the famous cricket ground and about to become the famous Olympic ground as well. And then you've got Suncorp Stadium where so many great bits of theatre have been played out on a footy field. So those are two of the significant jewels, the performing arts complex, which is more than just one form of art. It's many forms of art. And then, of course, on the other side of the river now, we've got the fabulous destination Brisbane or the Queen's Wharf development with 50 new restaurants and bars mm. all, all set to open up right on the river. We've got the new Dexas development down at Waterfront. We've got the new Brisbane Live, which is going to go in to really make a much better use and a more exciting piece of the old Roma Street area, which was a bit of a mess. We've got the Roma Street Gardens themselves, which are now really starting to grow into themselves as the trees have matured since when they were first planted. The Victoria Park, not far away, which is going to become a fabulous inner city park. That's just a few. And of course, one of the things that joins all of these is the river, our great river city. So we've got all of these pearls, and I've just named a few, and things that join them and cause them to be thought of as a continuum rather than sort of isolated pieces of this fabulous jigsaw, if you like. It's just so exciting. Mm. You mentioned the river there and Brisbane is known, of course, as the River City, and we've been getting a lot better at appreciating and celebrating the river over the last couple of decades. How important do you think the river is as an identifier of Brisbane? Oh, look, I think it's terribly important. I think when you think of any great city that comes to mind, whether it's Manhattan for its great big high skyscrapers and then it's Central Park but surrounded by the East and the Hudson River, or if you think of Paris with its great streets, you think of London with its great historical windy streets, not the big grand boulevards of Paris, then you think of Harbour City, San Francisco, it's the harbour, Sydney, it's the harbour. In our case, we have, I think, three beautiful physical attributes. We've got the nearby mountains, Mount Cutha, et cetera, the incredibly large forests in that mountain range that's up there, so close to the centre of town. And then that leads, oh, it's not the source, but you've got the Brisbane River that runs down from the various hills and higher up from the Great Dividing Range through all of Brisbane, winding through it in a very meandering, complicated way, which, you know, adds to the appeal of Brisbane, that beautiful brown snake. And then it flows out into the extraordinary Moreton Bay and the islands that we've got there. So it is the thing that defines us topographically, along with our hills. I mentioned Mount Cutha, but there's 892 hills in Brisbane. It's the most hilly city in Australia. So virtually wherever you are, you can go up to a hill, capture a breeze and look out over this wonderful city. 
and now the trees are growing so rapidly. I mean, the, the greenness of Brisbane is so extraordinary as well. So, But the river is what brings it all together and we're on a floodplain. We do flood. It's horrible when it happens, but in a way it's part of our excitement as well as learning how to deal with that and all the stories that go with it. Mm. One of the great hallmarks of your career and a shared love I know with your wife, Jane, is heritage conservation, including throughout your career raising $20 million to complete St John's Cathedral, which is, of course, the only stone-vaulted church in the Southern Hemisphere. More recently, as we've touched on the restoration and reopening of the Princess Theatre, where did this love of heritage preservation begin? Look, I don't quite know where it began, but certainly I'd always been interested in architecture without necessarily realising. It probably goes right back to I enjoyed art at school. But you mentioned at the beginning that I've had the good fortune to travel a lot. And so when one travels around anywhere, whether it's from Brisbane up to Townsville via the many one great cities and then between here and Townsville or up to Cairns, more out through the country. It's not only the big places, but the thing that you notice are things that are distinctive to an area. And so often that is the heritage. And so if could one possibly imagine thinking of many of those cities that I talked about without their distinct architecture, without their distinct buildings, or indeed without their distinct natural features? We talked to the Brisbane River and the harbours, etc. So I think it's that sense of what is authentic to a region But what's particularly good about Brisbane is that we actually do have a unique architecture. And so the houses on stilts, they were a response to climate well before everyone was talking about sustainability. And the good news is that actually with a good old Queenslander, you don't really need air conditioning. Now, I know everybody feels they've got to have air conditioning these days and everyone seems to think they need an ensuite as well. But uh, in reality, the best form of managing the climate in terms of the day-to-day managing is by responding in the way you build. And what's so good here is that by putting houses up on stilts, giving them a big veranda, and then opening up all the doors and windows, you end up with something that also looks very distinctive. So I suppose it's probably growing up in Brisbane, being broadly interested in design, then travelling the world and noticing that the places are most interesting are those that have authentic architecture, and that leads on to heritage. And then when you see great things that are knocked over, and sadly all over the world that's happened, you get interested in preserving things. And of course, things are knocked over by governments coming in and saying we're knocking that building over, but they also fall apart because there's no love and attention given. So in addition to sort of talking and saying things, I believe action speaks louder than words. So I've personally sought to either do it myself with my own money or to go and raise money to do things like St John's Cathedral, etc. So, mm. yeah. And, and not small projects either. I know that within your businesses at Clarence Corner, there are four heritage buildings that make up that small parcel. The restoration of Lamb House soon to become your new family home and and one of the great homesteads of Brisbane, you mentioned that there's a responsibility to preserve that authentic architecture of a place and of a city. Do you think that's a shared responsibility? Oh, yes, it is. And I mean, 
It's a responsibility, I think, of a society, which sounds very grand, but it's better if many of us sign up for this idea. And not everybody has got the money to go and do these things. I fully understand that. But I think we can have legislation that protects buildings. I think we can have legislation that encourages people to go and preserve buildings, whether it's a commercial use or whether it's a private use then I believe that government should step up to the plate and do things as well. So if that happens, you end up with a better place. And it's not just better in a sort of antique way of looking at old things. And, and I, I would say this, that whilst we're talking about restoration, I also very much believe in new and modern architecture, if you like, what will be tomorrow's heritage building built today. And I've done various things in that regard. So it's not only the old, it's both. It's things that uh, really appeal to the eye, but also that work well. And I have no doubt that that uplifts the spirit. And there's more to it than just looking at things that are pretty or nice. It causes pride for people. Can you imagine London without Big Ben or talked about Paris before without the Champs-Élysées saying, oh, we could go. The pride that the locals gather from having these wonderful buildings and well-laid-out streets and tree-lined boulevards and, and natural beauty is so important. I think one of the things that I've really admired about your work is not only the commitment to preserving a physical asset, but in honouring the original intent of a building. And we've seen that in the Princess Theatre, which, as we touched on, is Queensland's oldest surviving theatre and is now returned to that original use. I know when it was announced that you would be restoring Lamb House, you spoke a lot about it is a family home and that was what it was built for and that is what it should be. And I think that that's really special as well. What are your comments on that around preserving the intent of a space? Oh, look, I think heritage must always include use. And there's only so many refashionings of buildings. There's only so many school of arts or Royal Historical Societies that can go into these buildings. And in reality, if you've got a really interesting house like the house up on the hill, it's known as home, I like to call it home, but yes, formerly the Lamb House, that wouldn't be the same if it was not utilised as a family house. So the soul of a building is very important. I wish the Bellevue Hotel was still there and it was a ribald hotel that apparently uh, doubled up as a bordello. Well, these days that's legal, so maybe we could have kept that. <laughs> <laughs> In the spirit of this podcast, Dream Boldly, Steve, what are your hopes and aspirations for Brisbane? Look, I think that Brisbane genuinely has the opportunity to be the greatest place in the world to live. And there's many things that make that up. There are things that We've just been gifted our extraordinary climate, our extraordinary physical features that I described before that we can do more with. But I think at the end of the day, we're at a moment in time where we're going, the Greater Brisbane is going from this sort of three and a half, four million people towards five and a half, six million people in our lifetime, even me for an older fellow, I can say in my lifetime. And I think that sense that we are living in this place, which the whole world says is fabulous. The world discovered Barcelona during their Olympics. I think we're a hell of a lot better than Barcelona. But there's this notion that our time has come and we can feel proud about it and no longer cringe. And I think you're starting to see that now with the migration factors that are coming through. I mean, a thousand people a week are moving into 
into Queensland, mostly into the greater Brisbane area. So I think it's just that sense of explosion, of excitement and pride will be fantastic. And you may not be able to reveal this, Steve, but will you be playing any sort of role in the visioning of the games over the years to come? I don't have a formal role, but I'm not going to go quietly. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll be delighted to uh, throw views onto the table. The great thing about not having a formal role is that you can say what you (laughs) think and you're not constrained by Cabinet Solidarity. Beautiful. Well, we look forward to hearing much more from you, Steve, over the years to come. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Adam. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Dream Boldly. This podcast is brought to you by the Committee for Brisbane in association with Aruga. The Committee for Brisbane is an independent, not-for-profit organisation whose vision is for Greater Brisbane to be the world's most livable place. To find out more, please visit committeeforbrisbane.org.au. Please remember to rate and share the show. See you next time.